session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. The book of the week for this week is Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman, Humankind, A Hopeful History. And uh, although it's translated from the Dutch, I actually don't know how the title translated, but uh, human and then kind is the emphasis that it's looking at history through a different lens rather than usually how we view history is about destruction and death and war. Seeing this theme of human kindness um, or this positive side of humans that may be a better explanation explanation of what's happened or at least a different perspective i think humans have lots of facets facets and aspects to us but um, this provides a more hopeful uh, review of history so i'm early in this book but enjoying it so far humankind by rutger bregman and in a somewhat related note we are getting close to the national elections here in the united states so i hope everyone here has registered or will register you can go check online actually i think it was the second or third time i checked online because some friends had sent a text of just reminding everyone to check if they were registered to vote which was nice so i just made sure again that i i am registered and also you do want to see if you have a plan or you know how you're going to vote it's not always uh, so simple so registering is not enough but i hope everyone will vote if you are in the united states uh, of course anywhere you are voting in those elections i think is very important civic duty and responsibility that we have and democracy is definitely not a perfect system but it might be the least bad system we had. I forgot if that was Churchill or who said that, but someone said something along those lines. And I think it makes sense that democracy is is the best that we have. It's not perfect, but it's the least bad form of government we can have. And really one aspect of it is everyone um, making their voice heard by voting. And there's other ways too, but voting is one of those important ways to do that. And I know it's very cliche and no one's really going to disagree with saying you should vote, but I do think it's a reminder of how important it is because many of us, and even I've taken my responsibility and really privilege of voting a bit lightly by not studying the issues, not voting in every um, election, but midterms and different elections that are there. So I think it's up to each of us to take that responsibility seriously. At times, you'll hear people say oh my vote won't make a difference which i think is is interesting and i understand for example to say well if you're in california and when it comes to voting for president probably won't make a difference in the sense that um it's pretty clear who the winner will be of that state let's say but really that to me is looking at 
democracy and voting the wrong way. Uh, if you really think of it, what someone is saying when they say my vote won't make a difference is that my vote won't pick the person, essentially, meaning that you would have to feel that my vote would for sure pick who's going to be president or senator or whatever it might be, or else I shouldn't vote. In essence, you want to be the uh, monarch yourself, that you get to make the decision. But really, democracy is that every voice gets heard, and then through that we collectively understand what who they want people want to elect or what laws or what measures uh, whatever it might be and also even the number of votes can make a difference if we see that um, a certain percentage of people want something or choose a candidate that makes a difference that itself is information that can inform us as a public and the government and so on so i hope people won't take that lightly that voting is very important of course many people don't have that right to vote here in the united states we still see people that are disenfranchised um, from people who have been in prison at times, can have issues related to voting, but throughout history, there's been people who have not been allowed to vote from African-Americans to women, and uh, the challenges continue. And around the world, there are still many people that don't really have the right to vote, whether they're living in a country that's not a democracy or kind of a mock democracy, democracy in the sense that it's a mockery. They vote, but it really, we know it doesn't really mean much because the elections are very clearly determined, uh, or um, they can't vote because of their religion or race or whatever it might be in the country they're living in. So it, it is something important to recognize that it is um, a, a right that we have, but in that sense also an obligation and responsibility for us to vote as well. Now shifting a little bit, something related to uh, politics and voting is something, you know, we hear about identity politics, and I won't get into a whole discussion about that. Um, and really even how to define it, I think, can be unclear because a lot of politics is about identity, even if it's Democrat or Republican, or it could be LGBTQ groups or women. There's different ways that we identify that are part of politics. So I don't think we can take that completely away. But I'm not getting into that discussion. I want to look at identity politics in a different way and in the way that we identify with our politics, meaning that we feel so uh, intertwined with things that we're voting for, things that we believe. Now, some issues that we consider political are very significant human rights issues and sometimes people's human rights are put on the ballot essentially or are up for debate and when that happens of course you can understand that someone will take that very very personally when they're being told they shouldn't have as many rights or as much rights as other people or that they'll be limited in some way or there's some kind of discrimination that is going on well, of course that can be very very significant and i'm not saying people shouldn't care and be passionate about their politics absolutely it makes sense and it's understandable and we should care we should be involved but what i'm thinking about is when in general people look at all their political beliefs as somehow defining them or being their identity and then this makes it very difficult to have any kind of real discourse between people with differing beliefs because it's not differing beliefs it's that you're attacking me at who i am so if you believe in capitalism and so in the free market and someone else believes in more socialist type of ideals it becomes this matter of you saying I'm good or bad or that I even exist 
uh, rather than just different understandings of what would be the best form of economy for a country or the world. And so, yes, these have big implications. I'm not minimizing that. But the way we discuss things, and maybe the economy can be considered something bigger, but even on smaller things, it's just become so cutthroat, so intensified, because we're not just discussing issues, we're discussing who's good and bad, who's right or wrong. And unfortunately, this is getting even stronger here in the United States with the polarization of political views further exacerbated by things like social media and the fact that people get the news they want to hear rather than the news that might reflect more accurately what's going on in a balanced way. And so we're getting these hyperpolarizations of viewpoints, of uh, beliefs, thinking your side is right and good, moral, loves the country, all these things, and the other side is evil, stupid, bad, wants the worst for the country, uh, and it's really a, sad to see. I'll go on my own social media, and I have friends that are from both sides of the political aisle, you could say, and at times you'll just see them talking about the same issue and describing the other side as so wrong and stupid uh, and immoral and all these other bad things, and it's just very black and white. And I think part of that is because of how we're identifying with our politics and it's becoming so tribal that it's not just about what idea do you think it's best, it almost feels like it's life or death. And in times it does feel this way and there is some research when I was talking about the book, um, You're Not Listening, in that there was a study about how when people who have strong political beliefs about something, when it gets challenged and they looked at that person's brain, the way the scientists describe it, I think, to kind of make an effect was that it's as if you're being chased by a bear. Uh, the parts of your brain that were being activated or the way it looked was as if you're being threatened, your life is being threatened. And the way I could understand that is that there is this feeling that your sense of self so your identity, who you are, is being challenged and questioned. And if it's proven wrong, then in a way it's like you don't exist or you die. Uh, or maybe it was the sense before that your tribe would no longer exist or loses in some way and that you get killed or no longer live. So it feels like a huge threat. And this is why when people have these conversations, if you want to even call them conversations, they don't really get anywhere because people aren't just saying, here's an idea I think makes sense or the idea that makes sense to me now. It's that this is who I am. This is me. This is why I'm good. This is why I should exist. This is why I'm better than you. And so if that gets challenged, of course, people are not going to really be listening to the information. They're just going to be reacting to protect themselves, getting defensive and then also getting offensive at you to prove how bad and dumb and stupid you are. So when you look at your political beliefs, really, when you think about it, most things we can't be a hundred percent certain about that that's one thing you're not going to be 100 percent sure you might think you are that this is the right way that when it comes to the police this has to be the way to do it i know or when it comes to this issue there's only this way of doing it there can't be anything else but if we can maintain some humility and understand that you know what 
we don't really know most things in this capital K or capital T as far as truth goes to know that for sure this is the truth. And if you look at almost any human being throughout the course of their life, their feelings about political beliefs will evolve. Some of them maybe follow what people will consider more traditional um, kind of a path developmentally, but even still, regardless of that, people's ideas change. So what you believe today likely isn't what you believed five years ago and likely won't be what you believe at least exactly five years from now. So having that understanding that you have an understanding that you think makes sense or makes sense to you now, but not clinging to it as some kind of absolute truth. The problem is because both sides are becoming more and more polarized, you almost feel this need to defend in that way. Because if you concede anything, or at least the feeling is, then it seems like you're losing. Or to members of your own group, whatever that might be, they'll look at you as a traitor or someone who's not with them. It's very much us against them. And what that also means is not only about this certain issue, but everything related to that issue or that aligns with that political party, let's say you have to believe. So if you're a Republican, you have to believe all these things A through Z, and you can't disagree with anything. And if you're a Democrat, you have to believe these things A through Z. You can't have a nuanced viewpoint even on some of those issues, because then that would mean you're part of the other side or you're not with us as much. And it becomes this very much us and them. So I think even identifying with certain political groups is something to be aware of, that what is that going to mean? That you in some ways might be conceding your ability to think for yourself to then join this group. So it's interesting when we look at this kind of identity politics, when we identify in such a way and it becomes part of our identity, in some ways you lose some of your own identity. You lose your sense of self because you have to become what others think is true. So uh, it reminds me of when we look at emotions and we try to teach mindfulness and our feelings, we say instead of saying, I am mad, you can say, I feel mad or I feel angry. It doesn't sound that different, but I am mad means that's my whole identity, that's all I am, and it might affect even how I now act on that feeling. Uh, but if you say I feel mad or I feel angry, that's just part of my experience right now. And there's a little bit of that distance between me and that feeling that actually can make it easier for me to respond rather than react. So when we look at our political understandings, yes, these are big issues. I understand and I can be very passionate about a lot of issues related to politics and human rights. Um, and it means a lot to me. And I think we should make it mean a lot. But we have to be aware of how we identify and also keeping that humility, which is hard in such a hostile climate, but keeping that humility that, you know what, I might not fully know, or even what I think I know, it might be more nuanced than the extreme version of what I'm thinking. And if we allow for some of that humility and openness, it would make it possible for some level of discourse, which at the current time is almost at a zero, where people are not genuinely having conversations. It's just kind of like a uh, a nuclear arms race, a cold war of ideas and words 
that might someday erupt and already in some ways has into actual violence and hurting. Of course, it erupts in um, verbal violence every day on the Internet, but it could erupt into violence because it's more and more we have to prove we are right. And unfortunately, someday we could get to the point where our identity, as far as the politics go, could become life and death and feel like we are dying. But if we can relinquish some of that certainty, relinquish some of that, I am right, you are wrong, I am good, you are bad, um, that there must be something to what you're believing or understanding, or there must be some merit to it, even if I don't fully agree, we could hope for some discourse. And also you can allow for yourself to have some space that it's not about just winning, but about trying to understand and get to some better place uh, for the country, for yourself, whatever the situation might be. Let's go to our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Yohamro, you're on the air. Hello, are you talking yeah. to me? Yes, I am. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Doctor. You mentioned about right to vote and how privileged we are to have this right. But I have a question for you. I am mm -hmm. registered independent. I am very disappointed on both parties. I feel like it's a battleground. They are just fighting and they are not working towards people's benefits from White House to Senate and the House. Mm -hmm. I I think that they feel like they, you know, the way they treat themselves, they are above law, and they are just so fond of themselves. I wish there is a term limit. I wish, uh, you know, my vote, see, you also mentioned, I don't feel like my vote will be counted, especially in the state of California, and I want to have a negative protest. And that's what we learned when we went back, when we were back in Iran, when the, after the revolution, the only kind of negative protest we had was not voting because mm -hmm. I didn't feel like our vote would make any difference. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, these are obviously complicated issues that also bring up political science and other aspects. I do agree with you actually about term limits. It, it seems very strange to me that people, um, can be senators or in Congress for so long, and it usually leads to corruption over time, regardless of who the person is, and the system is definitely corrupt. So, I, And I agree with you that the American system is definitely uh, in crisis and that there's a lot of corruption. There's the two-party system itself probably is not the best because it creates this polarization that we, we see, and there's not as much nuance. So I think there are a lot of issues there and i obviously won't say that you should or shouldn't vote as in your particular case it's an individual thing i don't know how far the individual non-vote goes um there is at times you can look at not just the presidential election which is important but there are usually ballot measures and different people running for more local government that might have also an impact as well but changing the system which i agree with you is important and necessary uh, where to start with that i'm not quite sure how that does happen but it does feel like the way 
um, things are. The people don't really have the power they should have. I agree with you in, in that sense. And uh, that the way the government works, that's why there's such a low approval rating for Congress. People are just very disappointed that it becomes more about um, fighting with each other than making progress and winning against each other rather than winning for America, winning for the country. So I, I totally agree with you on a lot of those points. Now, how to deal with that? Maybe we'll disagree. I still think that voting is good. Maybe you're right. If no one voted, if we some, there's some way to make that happen, or at least a large portion, that might have some impact. But I don't know if it would really make a change, because then the people that would be in power would still still be in power. So I'm not sure what uh, what's there. I can understand your anger. Um, and I, I have that, too, about the, the system. And when you look at things and hear what people from both parties say, there's just a lot of lip service and saying whatever is convenient in the moment rather than having some strong values or morals because it really just becomes about winning rather than doing the right thing. And so I am very disappointed as well. So I can share that with you. But I don't know if I would share not voting as, as my response, but I can see where you're coming from. Um, I I do vote, but not mm -hmm. for presidential. And the reason I do vote for propositions because in that sense, I feel like my vote mm -hmm. has an impact. But and this happened, la you know, several years ago when Al Gore was candidate, and we know that United States is the only country that for presidential. It, popular vote doesn't make any difference. And this mm -hmm. is disappointing, and no one has done anything about it. It happened during the Al Gore and Bush, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. time, and it happened just last time. And yeah. it is, and, and I don't see any changes. How can we, how can we, uh, you know, uh, have our voice heard? This is disappointing, and, you know, the main reason we have such an old candidate, and I don't think that's a good thing for a country who, I mean, we need sharp minds, we need young minds, we really need some new blood in our uh, political uh, environment. And as long as there is no term limit, we are not going to see those new senators coming mm -hmm. so they can get, you know, with the publicity that needed to become a president. And this is a huge issue. Yeah, I agree with you about, um, I mean, when we look at the two candidates, and I won't make an endorsement, but when you look at the two candidates, I don't think people can argue that these are the two best people to be president out of the 300 plus million people we have in the country. But I think it is, as you were saying, evidence of the, the political system that we have, that it breeds this type of situation. So I, I do agree with you on, on those accounts. And again, the term limit thing is something I feel very strongly about that I think it doesn't make sense and it leads to corruption. And even what we tend to see is people when they're in office, rather than really doing the work they're just focused on getting reelected the next time you know they're focused exactly. on next 
and they spend even a lot of time making phone calls like there's you know maybe you've seen reports on this where they spend hours a week i don't know actually how long but a lot of time just in these phone banks making calls to potential donors because they have to raise money again another big problem in our politics that money plays such a big role in getting elected and really you don't see that people are focused on um doing the right thing they want to get reelected. what we just saw with the supreme court and i was when i'd watch the news about that when they would look at different people and how they might react a lot of it was about well when are they going to be up for re-election next and how might that affect their their impact of getting re-elected which can seem like a good thing to do what people want but it's more about the party politics than doing the right thing and i think that is very disheartening and discouraging so your frustration you're definitely not alone uh, in that feeling and, and i do hope term limits it comes up but it, it's one of these problems where the people who would have to make that those term limits are the same people that benefit from their not being term limits so um you know yeah. these, the checks and balances sometimes don't always balance out in the sense that there's not someone to to make that happen so i, I agree with you um about the, the the term limits about having a disillusionment it's not that i feel great about and i think the voting is going to solve um, the issues, the issues are really at the core of our government, which there's a lot of problems. Every government has issues, but there's some pretty big ones related to money, related to term limits, two things that you brought up that I- I'm not sure how. I think it'll take time to change. I'm, I'm always hopeful that things will go towards justice, but I think it's, it's, uh, it is going to be a long path. I agree, but I, yeah. I, I certainly hope there will be a shorter path, a shortcut, <laughs> but, uh, you know, let's just hope I'm, I'm not in politics, but it was great talking to you. Thank you. Yes, I appreciate calling and sharing your perspective. Thank you for that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, you know, she, she brought up some good points. Uh, the term limits is one that I've I felt very strongly for a while. It really doesn't make sense to me for someone to be a senator for 40 years um, you know, experience is something. And so maybe there can be some diversity, as she mentioned, having younger people, I think that would be good. Having different perspectives, having diversity usually is a good thing. Uh, and so if we have people from different ages, of course, different backgrounds, different types of experiences, that is important, not just have the different experiences, but that people, different people are represented. A government should represent the people and be made up of uh, in a representatory sense of the people so that they all the voices will be heard and people's voices w- will get the um the representation they need and, and the attention that they need so you know her decision or her thought about not voting for president i can understand that it makes some kind of impact i think uh, you also want to look at the situation and make what you think is the best choice for you but if you feel like one choice makes more sense than the other it could make sense to do that and the, the bigger changes will take some some time to come and this is where politics is a um it's a tough issue to be involved with we have some power but it's limited each one of us and we try to form groups and this goes back to the ideas of identity politics and why it can make sense that you want to form uh coalitions with people who are like-minded who might be thinking about the same things feeling the same way and try to make some impact in that way and then of course the the for money being in politics another one of those very easy and cliche things to say but i think it's hard to undermine how significantly this impacts things and you know we can get used to certain things because there's so much part of a system 
But if we take a step back, we realize how much it doesn't make sense. Why should it make um, sense that the person who has more money is more likely to win an election? Or that if you don't have a certain amount of money, you can't win or even really run for office or certain offices, especially if it requires money. And then this also allows for wealthy individuals to come in and influence elections, even in cities or states that they don't live in, but that might have some impact on their business. And so it has various levels of a negative impact. Uh, I think it's also reflective of capitalistic type of society where money is in some ways the most important thing making money having money those who have it get more power those who don't don't have power and then they don't have unfortunately a lot of power to make change because it takes money to make change in politics very often and, and they don't get that opportunity of course so um, the, you know the, the money part really bothers me too because I've I was telling my brother once that I think rather than just we, you know, we had a black president that was wonderful. Probably someday soon we'll have a woman president and other individuals from different groups that haven't been represented in that office. But um, will we have a, a poor president or a president who doesn't have money or doesn't need uh, to have money to get there? To me, that would be something more significant and remarkable. But we, I think, are far from that, unfortunately. And um, getting money out of politics, such a challenging issue many people talk about it but the people with power are the ones that are benefiting from it so unfortunately uh, something i talked about on i think it was last week's show about people in power not wanting to give it up for many reasons it, it's tough to imagine them relinquishing that w without some kind of a fight and what that fight looks like it's not clear at times is it going to be political does it become bigger than that um, but time will tell. So thank you to that caller. Let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, hi. Thanks for calling. Uh, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So, uh, I have a question regarding my life and uh, and the way I've been um, since my teenage years. I'm in my early fifties now, and but the way I feel about the opposite um, opposite sex and a relationship with the um, women since then. Um, when I was, uh, you know, when I went through puberty, I felt very strong. And just like any other kid, I had all these strong um, urges. And um, it just got to a point that it was occupying, uh, you know, a major part of my life. And I, I think that's very, that should be common, you know, between all the young kids, you know, where your hormones are raging and all of that. Um, so as life went on, and, and, and it was, it was kind of difficult because you have all those pressure of what you want sexually and, you know, you're very young and it's, it's, it's you know, and the society and where we grew up and it was kind of hard to deal with it. But it was also, difficult because I felt like these, it's so strong that, um, 
you know, you feel like, is that what all your life is all about? You know, sex? You have seen those cartoons that, you know, they, they compare like a, you know, a man's head versus a woman's head. And, you know, a man's head is like 99% sex, 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 sex. And a woman, you know, they think about like art, you know, humanity, other things. So as as life went on, uh, I thought like as, as I get older, maybe this would decrease. And I, I mean, it, it has decreased a little bit, but not to, I mean, I still at this age, it's the major, major part of my life. And, um, and I guess, um, I know, I, I guess I wanted to know, is there, is there a line that can be drawn by someone that says, you know, if, if, um, you know, being physical and being sexual is more than, more than this much, and, and then then it's considered you know too much. And is that a measurable thing? I mean, the, your psychologists, psychiatrists, do they have ways of measuring this to see how much is too much? Well, I mean, you know, the, uh, sex is a part of life, and people have a desire. And usually, when we look at too much. Most things in psychology, the way you look at a disorder is if it's causing some kind of harm in your life, your work, and your relationships, or interference in some way. And of course, if it leads to uh, big problems, then that that would be a part of that. So now, maybe are you hypersexual? That's possible, having a higher sex drive than others. What I would also want to look at is: are there other things lacking or missing? in your life or relationships and then sex becomes the only place you go to as far as you know sex can be part of a romantic relationship but there needs to be more than that as far as emotional connection and wanting to be close um, and so you said something about like how you feel about the opposite sex and i don't know if it just meant sexually how you feel about women but there there could be more to it than just it's an issue of sex we can look at how do you feel about uh, women in general being in relationships, how have relationships gone for you? Do you want to be in a relationship? All those types of factors can be related to, to this. So um, to say, uh, you know, is there some black and white line? Usually there isn't. It seems like you feel like you are more sexual than even mo most men or the average man. Um, right. And even the way you talked about it, is that the only thing in yeah. life that would not be a fulfilling life if that's the only thing we're looking at. And again, it would beg for me the question of, well, what else or what might be missing in your life? So first, looking at women, your view, if you could try to understand it, what has been your experience and your feeling about women, not just about sex? Uh, women, I mean... Um... I mean, I, I, I've had this, having this long of a life, I've had many relationships and I've fallen into love and out of love. And I've had, you know, quite a few relationships and the sexuality comes into it um, pretty early on in a relationship. I enjoy the, the emotional connection I would make with a woman. And um, and the sexual relationship I have with a woman is not as enjoyable until 
I have that emotional relationship, mm-hmm. um, despite you know, the, like despite the, the thoughts and the media and the books and everything, the culture that you know um, that says otherwise. I, I I enjoy it once I get to know a person and I make a connection, a stronger connection with a person. That's when the the sexual parts becomes more and more interesting and exciting and all of that. Well, and I wouldn't say that's. Uh, I I can get what you're saying. Sometimes there's uh, people think, well, men they don't care about feelings and emotions when it comes to sex, and that's not uh, necessarily true. Sometimes men might have a lower threshold for being willing to have a sexual relationship, and there's even some evolutionary biology reasoning that might explain some of that. It's not so black and white, even still. Uh, but it's not necessarily the case that men would not enjoy a sexual relationship more there's a certain depth to the overall connection that could also become part of the the sexual connection and relationship so i don't want you to think that's something not there but even the way you said it there might be the sense that that's like a not not a manly thing to to have but it it totally makes sense that if you feel more connected uh, like the person more know them more you can enjoy the sexual relationship more as well right um, so I, I don't know if I answered your question correctly or not. Was there? Did I answer what you asked? Well, you said my relationship with women, mm-hmm. and I said uh, I, I love women, and I love all the, you know, everything I get in a relationship with a woman. And I've been in and out of relationships with different women throughout my life, and um, and I do have like a. Um, weird situation i kind of um, the you know my upbringing and my sexual um desires and the way i relate to women is a little bit in in contrast you know but i think that's just um that's so just different people are different and so what do, you, what do you mean by that the way you were raised uh, and your relationship with women i um I feel I'm more sexual than a lot of people. I have more interest. I'm more. Um, it, it's on my mind a lot more than a lot of people, than most people. So that's one way that I'm different. I feel. Okay, and then do you have feelings about that? Because it seems like there's something you don't feel good about this this aspect of yourself no, no, i don't feel it's not that i don't feel good about it. i enjoy my life and okay. things are going relatively well the, the reason for this is that i mean the only way i can i mean i know it's not good to compare yourself with other people because everyone is different mm-hmm. but the only way the only measuring stick that i have is to talk to my friends and read and look at the society to see how how everyone how, how much and how their everyone else is doing it. But you know, it, I like to get a bigger view of you know the amount that the energy that I put into this and the amount the amount of time it occupies my brain. Is that is that unusual? Is that usual? Is that um, Am I missing in art history and, you know, other aspects of life? Or is it just, you know, that's the way life is and 
I should just go enjoy what I have. Uh huh. Well, I mean, missing is an interesting thing because if you're enjoying your life, that's that's your life that you can be okay with, however much art and other things are in it. When you've been in a relationship, has this become an issue that your focus was too much on sex and not on other aspects of the relationship? Um, in, in some of the past, uh, I've had one relationship when it was almost equal and it was like immensely enjoyable because she, she, she reciprocated or maybe it was a little bit she was just like she was my equal mm-hmm. but in other relationships prior to that um i would say half and half yeah in other in other relationships i could say most of the other relationships i always had more desire than the other person okay and that's not necessarily a sign of something really wrong and most romantic relationships marriages people are not going to be exactly aligned in their desire for sex uh, and you know there's some things to negotiate there just like a lot of things you won't be perfectly aligned in your uh, desire for closeness your desire for space and these are things that when you're in a relationship you have to navigate and negotiate in a way together to find compromises and middle ground where both people can feel okay so if you tell me uh, i had more of a sexual desire than a previous girlfriend it's not necessarily a sign of something really bad it it, now it could lead to conflict it can lead to issues that that's also something to look at where you're making it a big deal but if it's just a difference in desire that's something that is very common in marriages that there's going to be that it's nice if it's exactly the same but it's usually not the case that you're going to have that equal desire but hopefully you can find a middle ground. So I, I wouldn't see that as an issue unless you're saying it made it so you would break up with someone or you couldn't stay with them, um, uh-huh. you know. But but I don't, I don't know. There, it, yeah, go ahead. Is there a relationship between the way you relate to a person and the way you sexually feel towards them, by the way you relate? I mean, the attachment type, the way you 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 think of you you establish your the type of attachment that you have with the other person and the way you sexually think of them well uh, you know some people you know sex can mean different things to different people for some people it's part of being close so there's that attachment there for some people it does it doesn't have to be so i'm not sure if are you wondering if it makes you attached to people differently because that you feel like, and you know, we're not even, uh, I'm not even sure how, when you talk about being more sexual than others, you've talked to some of your friends, it, it's possible. Um, if it becomes obsessive, that's something where you feel like you can't think about anything else but sex. And that's what I was talking about before. If it's getting in the way, let's say if you're trying to work, but you are constantly thinking about sex and can't even focus on something else, well, that that is more of a problem. Um, so that would be something concerning. Is that an issue for you? Is it taking over your life in ways that are uh, harming you in some way? No, no, it's not harming me. I mean, I okay. uh, once I'm in a relationship, I, I like to have, you know, a sexual or intimacy or closeness, like, you know, twice a day. Um, okay. Is, is that too much? Well, that's, I would think that's more than the average. But, um, you know, it, anything with sex, whether it's in a relationship or with any in a casual relationship, it's all about consent and the other person wanting that. So wanting it twice oh, a right. day is more than I think it's more than the average. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be something really wrong or bad that you you know it's a problem now if your partner doesn't want that that's where you together have to figure out how to make things work where there's some balance or you know making things okay but yeah that's more than the average but um desire is usually not something we can just turn off anyway or i can you know we can say something to make it less and from what i'm gathering from what you're saying it's not that it's hindering your life where you're saying well i had relationships and i ruined them because maybe i'm sexual and i want to be with other people or when it comes to work i can't focus or i do things that get me in trouble because of this strong sexual desire then that would be of course a big problem but what it seems like you're saying is you have you feel like you're more sexual and you're trying to understand yourself what i also wonder about is you know sex can have a lot of moral meaning to people uh, in the sense that right. especially in how they're raised and religion and culture can make us feel certain things about is being sexual something bad or wrong dirty immoral do you feel like you have any of those associations with uh, being sexual i don't feel like i have any of those association and i don't okay. know if that's good or bad but mm, people no. that i am with do have some of those associations or people who have been with before, mm -hmm. and yeah, that well, gets in the way. Sure. Uh, it has gotten in the way. I think of myself a little bit as a sexual minority, if that makes mm -hmm. sense, um, because the, the, the way I think about sex is not, not entirely different, but it's a little bit different than, you know, some people. Um, Different in what ways? But, you know, the issue of consent, I mean, I'm totally, consent is one of the things yeah. that really, um, it's really, um, it's, it's one of the pillars of what, you know, invokes me and excites me, and, you mm -hmm. know, receiving consent from a person, it's one of the desirable things that oh, well, that's know, good. I, I look for. When you said that, and that obviously is a good thing, you said, I feel like I'm a sexual minority and different. Like, how do you think you're different than most people? Other than, is it more than this, the desires or any other way about how you feel about sex that you think makes you different? I, I am more dominant. I, I take a more dominant role, but uh -huh. that that's often misconstrued as, as, you know, not taking consent. And I, I, I am very... I'm a big stickler for that to, to, to make sure that's not misunderstood. You know, what actually excites me is, is to receive that, that, receive that um, consent willingly from my partner to, 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 to reciprocate my, my relationship with them. Sure. Well, I mean, that, yeah, sense? that's a... Yeah, I mean, the consent is like a bare, bare minimum, of course, uh, that we, we need to, to have in order to be um, not violating the other person. And, you know, whether it's abuse, assault, whatever you want to call it. So consent is necessary. And then consent is also sometimes people look at consent as black and white, that if someone consents, then everything is okay after some, you know, magic word of no. yes. But I'm not saying you're saying I, this. But I'm saying even the way you want to have sex is uh, something that it, it could be okay to want to be dominant in a sexual encounter and experience, but even that's something that the partner would have to be open and willing to do. Exactly. And, and 
and so that you know that's something to be mindful of that consent means a, a certain aspect of consent is being a certain level of sexuality is being consented to but someone could not want or like the way it feels or the way emotionally it feels a different thing so wanting to be dominant is not uncommon um, maybe even more for men but it could be men and women but you, you have to make sure your partner is okay with that of course that type of uh, interaction so um, and it seems like you're saying you are but I don't know if that's become an issue before where the type or the the way you want to be sexual with someone maybe doesn't get uh, either reciprocated or they get upset by it and that's something that we have to be careful about there's a lot of gray area in sex because people right. there's a spontaneity in sex as well that partners can experience but there still needs to be a level of respect and even some way of checking in with each other uh, even during the process but definitely after um if if it or, already has been clear. before yeah before I, is even I, I, necessary learned. yeah so i'm still not sure what's your concern about yourself like you know you brought up now this dominant thing it seems like you're you're not sure about the sexuality that you feel the amount and maybe the way you feel it then you say i don't have feelings about it being right or wrong the way others might but it, it seems like you do something is coming up about if it's I okay to be the way you i are. mean the i i i feel blessed in some ways that i i, I am the way that i am because i feel like it's like you said it's hyper and hypersexualized or hypersexual mm-hmm. um and but what you know you know the thing that they say you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. so what i was wondering when i and i wondered about this less as the older i get was um if if i mean this is occupying a good amount of my life and i'm enjoying it and life is good but I was wondering, there's a, like a wondering thought in my head, if, if the amount that I have and what I do is so much that is taking away in, uh, of other things in life that I'm not aware of. Does that make well, sense? Well, I mean, it's hard, yeah, but it's hard for me to say, you know, uh, getting a, uh, about your life and if there's not enough of something. Could you be more preoccupied with this and avoiding other things? That's something you can explore. Am I, you know, even focusing on the sexual side and i know you're saying you like to get emotionally close but focusing on sex more than connecting with someone rather than sex being a part of a relationship it becomes almost like the goal of the relationship and that would uh, be missing something and then in your own life if you're taking care of yourself being responsible in all the ways and this is something that's part of your you know leisure time or free time it it can be okay we always want to be aware of things becoming obsessive um, whether it's with someone else or even masturbation can become to a point where it might take away from life in other ways but that's something that we you could look at and we could talk about or you have to look at yourself if you feel like i'd like to do other things and then i end up distracting myself or going towards sex or masturbation then that could be a a problem so it's hard for me to say you need to do it less and you need to start doing this more um that's more of a a lot more of a personal choice and looking at relationships though i think is something i'm wondering about in relationships how does it play out now i know you called with this specific question so the focus has been on that but i don't know if that means like your focus in general when it comes to the other sex as seeing them in just a sexual way and not seeing an actual partner 
that you want to connect with and be equals with. And that's actually something interesting. You mentioned sexually the wanting to be dominant. And some people might experience that sexually they're okay having, let's say, some more traditional dominant passive um, type of a relationship, but in other areas, they don't want that. So there might be a difference from how someone feels sexually, and it doesn't mean in the whole relationship, they'd be okay with you taking a dominant role, but it could be just in that area of the relationship, they're more okay with that. So there's these various th things that I'm wondering about. To me, it's still not clear um, if you're worried that life would be better if something else was going on, if you're worried you're doing something really wrong, I don't quite see it. You know, what I want to do is we can talk a bit more about this and get into that and look at what do you see when you are thinking about a relationship. I know you mentioned there's other things. What do you even want? So I'm going to put you on hold. Let's talk a bit after the break, okay? Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to him now. Caller, are you still there? Uh, I'm here. Okay. So, you know, we talked before the break, you brought up some concern or kind of questions about your sexuality. Uh, I know I said hypersexual and you seem to resonate with that. But I was curious about your romantic relationships in that you said you do want to emotionally connect. But is there something missing there? Have your partner said emotionally something has been missing or has that component of the relationship been okay? No, nothing has been missing. Maybe the opposite. Um, I feel like my relationship are too intense. Mm -hmm. um, like relationship on on steroids. Um, it's just and and obviously depending on you know who you're with and once and if it goes well it, it's it's amazing and intensely enjoyable but then it, it, it's it's hard to find those people who who, who you i match with uh-huh so when you say you know relationship on steroids uh, on one hand that can sound good but then also can sound a bit unstable or a little bit like there's too much going on, not that I'm saying that has to be the case, but that's what I hear when you first say that. I don't know if there's, that's a soundtrack in the background, but uh, you know, I'm wondering what leads to those relationships ending? Uh, what leads to a relationship ending? Uh, I think in my case, it's mostly attachment types. Um, I've noticed like people that have connected they, my, the way I, I relate or attach to a person sometimes is different than the way other people attach or relate to me. And, okay. um, that sometimes doesn't work in a longer, long period. So what, what, how is it different the way you might attach to them and they attach to you? Um, for example, the, the last relationship, I had my the way I related to her was that I see I felt that you know I I I can express everything to her and I can express all my needs and desires and be with her at all times 
but I didn't have any fears of, of losing her because the way I thought about it was that we're both adults and if, if she wants to not be with me any longer, then, then we don't have a relationship anymore. But the way she felt towards me was that this is, she was constantly afraid or cautious or felt at risk of not us being together. So all her actions, everything she was doing was, you know, was geared towards preserving that. And that, as, you know, as it went on and on and on, it got to a point that, you know, it just, the relationship couldn't sustain itself. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, it's a little vague, but it makes some sense. Uh, I think the way you're saying is you felt she was anxious in her attachment style, that she constantly felt like the relationship was in threat or that would be ending. Um, and But you did not have that that feeling. But then what ended up like leading to the breakup? What was the uh, kind of... I mean, the, what led to the breakup was, you know, the... You know, she was just constantly, just like you said, she had the anxious attachment type. And just, I had to, like, respond within hours. And if I miss an email, it would be, you know, the end of the world. And and I was, I felt secure that, you know, this person is there and I don't have to, you know, every hour on the hour, I don't have to kind of check in. Um, mm-hmm. And that created different levels of expectation that, you know, it's just got to be too much, and that's how it ended. Hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you're saying she was anxious and expected too much from you. And then I, I don't know, you know, when you say the relationship is like on steroids emotionally, sometimes people who, who are anxious, if you are attracting people who are anxious, there can be an emotional intensity to get very close with the person, partially out of fear right. of losing them or things not working. So that's right. what I felt even when you said, you know, relationship on steroids. It sounds good. People think, oh, I want to have this super passionate, intense right. love. But it's something that we can at least, maybe not a red flag, but a pink flag that can make us a little concerned when things are too fast and get too emotionally intense quickly. It could be a sign of yeah. something actually unhealthy rather than the strength of the love. So kind of like yeah, with steroids, I, 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 the muscles aren't so real. You know, they're coming with some negative consequences. <laughs> Good analogy there. I like how, I, I how you were perceptive and put your finger right on that. Yes, you're correct. Yeah. Uh, and so that's something to be aware of. You, you might be looking for someone to make you feel so good quickly. Uh, so you might also be seeking some reassurance in a different way. Now, not necessarily, but if you're attracting or being attracted to these types of women, there can at times be this desire to be built up by them where they give you so much attention, but it's this unstable kind of attention. So it burns really bright, yeah. really quick, but burns out. I haven't gone as much as like establishing a pattern, yeah. because there was another relationship I had, and she was ambivalent. I see. And you know, in her attachment type, and and I didn't like that either. And it's amazing how these two were in complete opposite of the hmm. exact opposite of the spectrum, and neither one of them worked for me. 
I feel like the universe is just sending me these things and trying to see like where I really stand. Well, the the un the universe, I mean, does a lot of things. It, it might expand and also contract and do things as well that I don't quite understand. But as far as looking at our love relationships, we always want to put more of the responsibility and the authority on us rather than it's just happening to us because there is of course luck and chance in every aspect of life but when we look right. at who we're being with and what's happening uh, i would always recommend seeing why would i potentially attract and be attracted to the people that have come into my life rather than it being the, the universe or some random type of thing right, um, right. No, because no, no, there are because I'm, I'm wondering you know it, that there could be a part of you that although you would like to be close, you might have your own fears of getting close or uh, your, your own avoidant at some level that you might be secure. You know, the attachment styles are not these black and white labels that you're only purely right. one thing. But there could be a level uh -huh. of avoidance from yourself that you haven't wanted to be, you know, with someone. Or uh, well, let me ask you this. Do you want to have a, a lifetime partner? Is that something you're looking for? Yeah, I think you put your finger again. I do have that some that some of that fear of commitment. Mm -hmm. So I I I'm I'm too analytical, so I, mm -hmm. I fall into that analysis paralysis thing. Yeah, and and just when you see someone, I I think about a lifetime partner is wow. You know, I'm not sure how. I mean, I'm not sure what I'm gonna have for dinner tomorrow night, you know, and I go back and forth on that, how can I decide on a, a lifetime partner? And that's yeah. not uh, that's not very much appreciated by the opposite sex. Well, and yeah, I mean, well, especially if the, that person wants um, a commitment that it, always in a relationship, you both have to want the same thing and you find someone that wants mm -hmm. that and you can make it work. But if you don't, it's going to lead to the end in this kind of a case when it comes to commitment. But yeah, there seems clearly something about not wanting to commit. So when you say even that avoidant person that we think it's just luck, but there could be something that you at some level also like someone avoidant because it won't put that pressure on you to connect as deeply or commit as strongly. So, you know, that's why I'm saying we, rather than just looking at it as chance, try to see what might have driven you in those directions to either attract to oh, that I person see. or be attracted to that person. Um, and, you know, uh -huh. I will wrap up our conversation shortly, okay. but it's something you can also look at what makes you not want to be. You know, you don't have to, not everyone has to get married, not everyone has to have a lifelong partner, but at times if we have a fear uh -huh. of commitment, we do want to understand or see if we can understand where it comes from, because if we do, it might allow us to see that uh, we might have these fears, we can work on it or it becomes less and something we might want might be able to be something we have in our in our life. That's, so That's uh, a very good question. What what kind of exercises or what thought pro how how could I dive? Obviously, it's hard to do it in this quick phone call. Sure. But what do you suggest I should do to figure out the answer of that question to myself? How, well, how would I know if, yeah. if there are things, and how do I figure it out? 
the first part is, you know, you know, answer to the question is, and you know, you're saying you're analytical, you might like things to be black and white, is a lot of these things, we're dealing with a lot more gray. So it's less than likely, you know, you'll be able to do some kind of reflection and come to some 100% feeling. So that's something you have to be ready for, because you also use that in the relationships to be like, well, I can't be 100% sure about this person, so I can't commit to them. Whereas in love and, and making that commitment, there's never a 100%. So even in reflecting back, you, you know, I would say looking at your childhood, what you experienced with your parents, their connection together, their relationship, looking at your um, marriage with uh, your parents and what you, uh, so your relationship, sorry, with your parents and what you experienced with them and what that was like, how they were like being connected. Because I do get this sense in talking to you that there is a sort of disconnection from some aspect of either your feelings or in connecting with someone else that is probably there. Now, again, the conclusion could be this is what I want, and that's fine, but I would invite you to go into that. One of the best ways to also do that is to, um, you know, therapy would be a, the best way to deep dive into these things to see what's there okay. if, you, if you wanted to do that, it likely on your own. Would you suggest any, what, what would the type of professional or the type of therapist that would do this kind of work? You know, really any therapist can do that. An analyst might have some more getting into the depth of these interactions in your relational life. But really, uh -huh. most therapists will be able to help you in, in getting into some of that and will likely be better for you than doing it on your own for two reasons. One is therapy. And having the therapist gives us that outside perspective, which can give us a better perspective. And secondly, because we're hinting on that there might be some level of not wanting to connect, entering into a relationship with the therapist itself might bring up some issues that through that relationship you might learn about yourself and with the help of the therapist okay. understand yourself better okay. and, and what comes up for you. So right. I, I would recommend doing that. Thank and, you. And, you know, I appreciate you calling and, you know, it started with thank something you. related to sex, but we can see how it usually it's related to a lot of different things. So thanks for your call. Okay. Thanks for your advice. Have a good My night. pleasure. Have a great day. Bye. All Bye. right. Let's go to another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back with the previous caller uh, discussed a bunch of issues as we see sometimes we think uh, the question or the issue that comes up is about one thing but there could be so much else we can understand about ourselves or someone else as we explore more deeply one thing i wanted to touch on more in this segment was something that you know he said half jokingly uh, about the the universe sending him people and i understand um that there is some luck, as I said to him, in life and some chance and things happen. So it's not that we control every aspect of life and what happens in our relationships and who comes into our life. So I don't want to go to that extreme either, but we always want to look at what might be the parts that we are controlling that lead to certain things happening, certain people being in our life. Sometimes the patterns aren't so clear like we always are attracted to, let's say, you know, aggressive men or uh, controlling people or something like that. Sometimes it's not so clear, but sometimes there are some themes we can understand uh, that will help us understand ourselves better. And so there is some aspect of things that are out of our control, but what we want to do is try to understand the parts that are out, that are in our control 
to 100% or the most we can and then understand and learn from those things. Uh, it reminds me of in the book, um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, there's that circle or of concern and then there's like a circle of control. I don't remember if that was exact words, but there's things you care about, let's say, like you care that it's going to rain tomorrow or not. Whether it rains or not is not in your control. Now what you do as far as having an umbrella or be, being dressed appropriately, that is up to you that is something that you um, can control and you want to control that to the best that you can so yes i can control if it's going to rain tomorrow i can of course check the weather and that's part of what i can control as well but then i can be prepared for what is going to be happening out there uh, to the best of my abilities so yes some things that happen in, in who we encounter and who we date is not completely in our control but we do want to look at okay what I, might i be doing because it's not just about who comes into your life you might date someone for three years and so well why did you date that person for three years and it didn't end after the first date they came to your life but you had lots of choices you made to make the relationship last uh, or vice versa you might have said no after the first date for some reasons that you maybe didn't realize were different than the ones that seemed on the surface. Oh, I wasn't attracted to him or I wasn't attracted to her. Maybe it was that. It could also be that you were scared that you would get too close to that person. It seemed like it could work out. There's lots of things uh, that we can understand about that. So we always want to take into account what am I doing in my life? Now, when we say that and people might think, well, I'm unhappy in my dating life. If I say I'm the one responsible for it, it seems like I'm blaming myself. Well, first of all, you, we need to take responsibility for our own life. That is the only way we can really live. If we're waiting for life to become good for us, it's probably never going to happen. And we won't be actually realizing what we can do to make a good life. And actually, a good life or the really life that will feel fulfilling is when you make it good or make it better when you are the one who's making it happen, not just someone else doing it for you. This is why even as parents, we sometimes think, well, we're so loving, we're gonna do all these things for our kids. We might not be realizing that one, we're interfering with their growth and their development, and two, taking away their opportunity to have that good feeling of doing something on their own for themselves or to make some good result. So it's actually not good. So really a, a good life is gonna come from the one that you create, uh, but the, really the uh, perspective when we look at responsibility and contribution to what's happened in your life it's not about blame but it's about understanding okay well, how have i gotten to this place and actually as much as you might not want to blame yourself but if you think it's completely from the outside uh, results or outside powers, well then, yes, you might think I'm not responsible if I'm not happy, but then also you're powerless to make things better. You have to just hope things get better rather than actually see that you can do something about it. And the reality is, of course, barring things where people are being oppressed and um, significant things are happening in your life. So I'm not saying that everything is in everyone's power all the time. Of course not. There are real barriers that are there. Um, but in a lot of our life, we can see that there's much more power we have or authority to make our life different. And even if we look at that word authority, sometimes we think of it as meaning someone in power, someone above us. But also we can look at the part of the word like author that you can 
be the author of your life, meaning that you can write what happens. And yes, you can't write exactly to say, you know, next week, this is going to happen and I meet this person and we're going to get married and blah, blah, blah. We can't write it in that sense that every single part of it, but we have a big impact on what does happen and what doesn't happen on how we try to meet someone. So for example, when people talk about finding someone, well, what efforts are you making to meet someone? A lot of people on that aspect of meeting someone think of it as, well, it's gonna happen. Uh, you know, maybe we run into each other at a coffee shop, which of course nowadays with Corona, it's less likely to happen. And plus you'll probably both have masks and be picking up your coffee. It makes it even less likely to happen, but it wasn't so likely before, or, or these ways of quote unquote, naturally finding someone, um, which uh, it can happen. It does happen, but it doesn't, uh, it definitely means you're not putting the most effort you can into meeting someone. Well, what else can you do? to meet someone. I know cultural things come up with gender norms and roles sometimes, especially women can think, well, you shouldn't be putting effort, people should come to you. And I'm not going to challenge and say you shouldn't believe something or feel something. But you have to also be aware that when you're just waiting for who comes to you, you're limiting the options of who you're going to be able to meet or you're making it that you have to just wait and see. And you don't have to. It doesn't have to be that way. There are ways that you can put effort as well. So we want to see what can I control and then do those things to the utmost. And then also it's not just about what can I control going forward. You're going to have to all try to understand to make better decisions going forward. So we explored a little bit and I encouraged him to look at his own uh, past. The family relationships and dynamics are important. How did you see your parents' marriage? What happened there? That's going to have big impacts on your relationship. The attachment and bonds and relationships you had with your parents, especially in family members, that's also going to be critical in impacting um, your attachment style, who you're attracted to, what you're looking for, the cliche things, which are very true that, yes, the ways that your parents were that were not good, oftentimes are the things you're going to be attracted to. So you have to be aware of those things. But there's so much you can learn and understand about your past. Not that your past dictates your present and your future. But actually, if you don't understand your past, it's likely to dictate your present and your future unconsciously. But the more you become aware of what's there, the more you can be consciously aware of what decisions you're making, what steps you're taking, who you're being attracted to, and who you're going to, uh, attraction size can feel more natural, but who you might pursue more. Oftentimes the people we are the most initially attracted to are the most unhealthy people for us. We are driven by the wounds of the past rather than being driven by the good values of who would be a good partner for us. So we at times have to be conscious, thinking with our heart as well as feeling, uh, thinking with our head as well as feeling with our heart, but we need both in order to pick a good partner. So when we look at any aspect of our life, but specifically in this case, we're looking at the romantic relationship, recognize that you have a lot more power than you probably realize, and you have a lot more to learn about yourself and your past and the decisions you've made to get to where you are today, to have the good feelings and the heartbreaks that you've had in your past. A lot more of it was probably in your control 
or a lot more of it could be understood if you look at your own past and who you are and your personality and attachment style. And then you can be armed with this information as you go forward. Okay, I tend to be attracted to this type of a guy, but they're actually really bad for me and I get into these situations. Or I might like an avoidant person because I know that they won't ever push me to get closer, even though on some level I think I want a relationship. Or I might pick someone who's anxious because they make me feel a certain way. And so then when we see those signs, we might recognize that although it might feel good on one level, we know that that good feeling is actually coming from a not good place that will get us into some kind of trouble or a bad place going forward. So romance, love, there's a lot of luck in there. But there's a lot that you can control, and most of the time people are not aware of how much they can control and also how much they can learn about themselves to decide what steps and actions to take and not to take as they go forward. Let's go into our last commercial break, studio number 310-441-0555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller, Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Am I on there? Yes, you are. Go ahead. We have hey. a little bit of... Maybe it's a little bit... I don't know if you're on speaker. Maybe take it off of the speakerphone. If not, I don't know what... I uh, think I'm not so. anymore. <laughs> All right. Go go ahead. I just wanted to say that I am a long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> and nice to a talk big to you. Fan. Thank and you. And you were talking about something that somehow um, connected in me because you said when we are looking for love, somehow we are looking at our wounds from the past. And somehow something came up to my head, and I wanted to ask you for input. Okay. And here it is that I am 64 years old, but I look 40 maximum. And I haven't done any surgery or anything. I have genes, and plus, it's been the type of lifestyle that I have been in. And there is something else, you know, your father has a doctrine about the, the child within, that all of us, we have, you know, we are at the same time, we're still a four-year-old, 15-year-old, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But there is something opposite of that in me which is there are some emotions that there are, without my control, there are still 30 years old, 25 years old. And it makes, I am right now, I'm single. Mm -hmm. I have divorced about five, six years ago. And after a long, long, long marriage and, um, because I had children in my life. I didn't want to let them down. Therefore, I let them grow up pretty well. And then it was time for it. There are numerous factors in my divorce, but I don't want to talk about it. I just want to tell you that there are some emotions, some feelings, some some stuff that there are still much younger than my real life, my real age, and I don't have any explanation for them. Hmm. One you, of well, them is 
Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask what they are. Mm-hmm. I apologize. I didn't hear you. No, no, I was saying I wanted to know what, what they were. And, you know, of course, we have like an inner child, but any of us, we are in a way composite of all the previous parts of ourselves too and we have various aspects so it's not just the inner child but your inner young adult there there's there's parts of that that are going to be part of who you are it does seem like you're saying whether it was some experience or some things you went through you haven't been able to get past or still stay with you but i was going to ask what those those feelings or things are so go ahead well um emotionally i can be 30 years old, I can feel love or being in love or being loved as a person who is about 30 or between 30 and 40. But what's and, the difference? Um, and some, uh, although I want to first emphasize, I am totally sexually inactive. I have been inactive for quite long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, Sexually, I am also extremely young, and I can I don't know why. But I'm I'm still trying to understand what, what does that mean to be in love as a 30, 40 year old, and also to be sexually young but inactive. So I, I'm not sure if I understand what you mean by being loving as a 30 year old compared to loving as a 64 year old. Well, loving, I I meant if I fall in love or if I feel that I want to be loved. I I am young. However, my, um, the way that the the society is and whatever that goes with my age is opposite of whatever that I need or I feel. So I can never find somebody. So explain to me, I, I'm not sure if I still know what the difference is in your mind of being in love at 30 or 40 or at 60. What's different from what you want to what you're saying society says you should want? Well, the society wants me to go out with somebody who is either my age or maximum a couple of years younger. Mm-hmm. And then I... Those people, I don't want them. I want somebody who is... I don't want that person, but I'm saying my feelings want. My emotions, my inner emotions, they're yearning for some type of person who is between 30 and 40. But I know that is wrong. Well, you know, maybe because of what you experienced in your marriage where you said it didn't seem like it was a very good one that you were just staying in it, you maybe felt like you didn't get to live your 30s and 40s. So you might be stuck in some of those those times where you feel like you deserve to have uh, a partner at that age, even if you're no longer at that age. So uh, do you... There seems to be some way that you feel stuck in your past and not in your present experience. But apparently my body is left in that time period. Not only me, it's not only my emotions, it's not only my mind, it's not only my head, my heart is. And there is, as you know, human being is extremely complex. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are emotions in me, there are feelings in me 
that I don't know how to explain them, appear, you're correct. I am left, my, I am still, I didn't live at 30 and 40 years old of my age. I did not. <laughs> so, however, there, I am stuck in that period. How come, how come I can feel that way? How come I can feel that way? How come I don't feel my age? I'm not. I'm not sure what it means to feel, feel your age in in that sense. And if you're attracted to men that are thirty or forty years old, that doesn't necessarily mean you are are stuck there. People who are um, sixty, seventy might find people attractive. They might not think they're a good partner for them because logistically and realistically, it might not make sense in some ways. But just being right. attracted to a 40-year-old man would not tell me that you are necessarily not in your body, you're not in your age. You just might find someone attractive. Um, and, and that's just what it is. There's nothing necessarily proving that you're not in your own age in some but way. There does seem to be. Time, I cannot yeah, but, go out with that person. Well, not just I for mean, logistic people, for yeah. numerous reasons. Ethically, sure. Ethically I mean, ethically, f- not necessarily. I mean, if someone wants to date you that's that's at, in 40s or 30s, you can. I would want you to look at what's going on for them and what's going on for you to date someone with such a big age difference. Um, there's usually some things about that. There does seem to be some way that you don't want to accept your age. And not that it has to be a bad thing, but except Not really. That's not true, actually. Okay. I'm so proud of my age. I never hide it. I tell everybody what is my age, and uh-huh. um, I'm so proud of it. I have earned it. I have mm-hmm. got so much experience because of my age, and I know much better about things. But there are parts of even my body. I don't know how to explain it. It is so brand new. How can we explain that? I, I don't know what that even mean, means, brand new. If you're healthy, that's great that you're taking care of yourself. And we might have assumptions that at 64, your body has to be in some bad shape, but it doesn't have to be. And you said there's genes and lifestyle. that There can be those things, but that's what I mean. It seems like you're saying, well, how come my body is not? Then I must not be 64. I, I still feel a... Uh, resistance in accepting your age as your age it doesn't mean 64 has to mean what other people define it as it just means uh you're 64 but you keep saying no i'm younger than than that but i'm not sure what that means to have uh, a brand new maybe again it's like this feeling you didn't live those years so you're you weren't being in that way uh aging because those age you feel stuck in that age but um to me, it doesn't necessarily mean something. I'm, I'm trying to get, what do you think that means? You say, well, why is my body stuck in that? Hello? Maybe we, I think we might have lost the caller. Is the caller still there? I'm not sure if Ghazada can let me know. Uh, maybe we, we lost the caller. Um, I, I'm not quite sure. Well, we were We only had a few minutes left anyway. But um, what... Uh, she meant by some of those things that that she said uh, i don't want to say too much about her, her call because uh, she can't respond to it but i was feeling some sense of resisting the, the age in, in a certain way 
Um, we are, in a way, made up of all of our components of ourself. And she seemed to recognize that there might be some feeling stuck. You know, we talk about arrested development. Um, I actually like that TV show with that name. But when we talk about arrested development, sometimes we see someone is stuck in their childhood years or stuck in their teenage years. And usually we think it means uh, some level um, of your development as far as a kid, but it can also be as an adult. And so it could be that in her experience, or sometimes people have experiences where they couldn't live parts of their life. And so now maybe at a different age, they want to live that period because they feel like it was taken away from them in some way. So maybe from what I gathered, she was in a marriage she did not like or feel good about, but might have been just saying stayed in it because of the kids. Um, but we can see that it could have impacted how she felt something was unfair towards her, that now she was should be afforded the right to be 30 and 40. And I'm not saying she can't feel young and look young, and that can be great, but something seemed to be um, missing in accepting the current reality of what was going on. So that was what I was uh, trying to convey to her. And um, connecting that to some of what we talked about before, what's happened to us oftentimes is not our fault in a lot of ways, especially what happens to you when you are a child, what happens to you when you're growing up, if your parents are abusive, if they're whatever, loving in some ways, but not other ways that create some wounds. And so we are not responsible, especially as children uh, and, and other aspects of life, of what happens to us. But we are responsible for what we do with what has happened to us. And each adult has the responsibility to themselves first, of course, but then to the ones around them and the world at large, really, to understand what's happened to them, to learn about the pains, the wounds, the issues you have based on what you've experienced, to then make the best of your life based on what's happened to you. So you can't change what happened to you, but you can change the present and the future based on your understanding and the lessons and the things you learn and how you work on yourself to then create a different and stronger version of yourself that then goes into the world armed with that knowledge and understanding of who you were. And really, that's all of our responsibilities to see those wounds, work on healing those wounds and move forward. Much easier said than done, and I'm especially saying it quickly in the last minute I have here. But we can't just see the wounds and think, well, the wounds are going to dictate and determine my life. I was hurt in this way, and that's all I can be. It is hard to change. Certain things are very hard to change. Certain things that happen to us, like abuse and assaults that happen, can really impact us. And I'm not saying we should just be able to get over it, and life should be normal. But it is up to us to then look at that wound or what's happened to us and try our best to heal it the most that can happen if it can be healed completely great but sometimes at least partially or we can make some progress and then work on making the best version of ourselves going forward we're not responsible for what has happened to us but we are responsible for what we do with what has happened to us and what we create for ourselves and our lives going forward well, that brings us to the end of today's show. As always, for the Wednesday shows, thank you to Ghazal in the studio, who allows me to do the show remotely. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalak. We have a wonderful day.